Well, again, good morning and welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Greg. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us this morning as we seek and engage with the living God. Um, I know that it, uh, it takes something to do that, so I appreciate you doing uh, whatever it took to get here. Uh, will you please uh, join me as I pray? Dear God, we give you great thanks for this day and your presence in our lives. God, I pray that you would speak to us in the way that you do, uh, in the unique way that you do when we are gathered together, that, uh, that is both individual and corporate. There's something for us individually, but there's also something for us as a gathered people. And so I pray that uh, we would be attentive to you. Holy Spirit, I pray you would move in us. You would stir our hearts and minds uh, that we could be uh, in sync with you, that we could be attuned uh, to your movements. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever done something so many times that it becomes routine? And by routine, I don't mean something you can just do without really thinking about it, like brushing your teeth or something like that. But routine in the sense that, that whatever you're doing kind of loses its meaning. Or maybe you've realized that you've done something hundreds of times and you're doing it over and over and over and you're not even really thinking about it. And then all of a sudden, something new kind of bursts through in that. And there's this moment of revelation. There's this moment of seeing something that you've never seen before. And step into this new space of understanding or this new space of mystery. As we have spent this summer going through the Gospel of John, I have found this happening every week. Uh, and one of the things that I have found fairly consistently just shifting and working in me is that I keep finding that Jesus is not often who I think he's going to be. He's not often what I want him to be. He doesn't fit my structures or my systems. And the moment we're going to be looking at today in the Gospel of John is just the same. It is one of the most preached on, studied, reenacted, and in some ways overlooked and passed by stories in Scripture. We're going to be looking at John 13, 1 through 21. If you have your Bible, you can follow along there. It'll also be up on the screen uh, behind me. I also want to draw your attention, inside your bulletin there is a space for you to use for notes and reflections. Uh, you can write down any questions, stuff you have uh, there. Uh, but this is John 13, 1 through 21. Uh, and Andrew, I'm going to need you to help with the slides. Thank you. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. You... Are clean, 
though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Then when he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. That uh, you should do as I have done for you. Uh, very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. What I want to do is I want to walk through a couple of uh, the, the things that are just kind of give us a walkthrough, and then I want to dive into what this whole story means uh, to us in general. So John uh, gives us this very general time marker, which he's done several times already, and he says it was right before Passover. Now, if you remember back at the feeding of the 5,000, he said the same thing. It was right at Passover. And then in the next story, we looked at Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles, which is six months after Passover. And so now again we arrive at Passover, and so even though only seven chapters in the Gospel of John have actually gone by, we can assume it's been about a year since the feeding of the 5,000. One of the things that I love about the Gospel of John is that you get this sense that Jesus sets the tempo. We often read it was not his time, or it was his time, that we we see times where he could have gone and healed someone, but he didn't, he delayed And again, here we have Jesus knowing that a certain time had come, and that moves him into a certain action. The time he knew was that it was time for him to leave the world and go to the Father, meaning he was going to die and then be resurrected from the dead. We are also aware of the presence of the devil in this passage, and that the person he is influencing, which is Judas Iscariot, the devil, we are told, has prompted Judas to betray Jesus, and that that was all set in motion. And this is going to become really important in just a minute. We also have this another moment where we're told that Jesus is aware of something, and that is that the time that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So what we have is we have the Passover festival, which is celebrating God sparing the firstborn children of Israel while they were held captive in Egypt. We have Jesus knowing he's about to enter into suffering and death. He knows that Judas, one of his dear friends, is going to betray him. He knows that all things are under his power, and he's 100% sure of who he is, that he came from God And he is returning to God. And it's with all that happening that Jesus does something very unusual. He serves. This is startling to me because what I want, what I sense, I want Jesus to take Judas for a walk and say, Judas, what's happening? Let's get this straightened out. Let's, let's get this going. And if all things have been placed under Jesus' power, I want him to go out and do some stuff. I want him to take care of evil in the world. And the ways I think about him doing that don't look anything like washing people's feet. But that's what I want. That's how I think. And what we see Jesus doing is something utterly different than what most of us would do when we are, when we are in the company of friends, one of who is going to betray us into evil, and we're on the precipice of suffering and death. And so Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And I don't know if you've ever washed someone else's feet. I have had the privilege of doing that. Uh, I worked with an organization called Queen. It's a new day. 
It's an organization that has events throughout the year, and what they do is they invite women who have been victims of abuse. They've been told by lots of different voices that they are worthless and that life is hopeless. And what they do is they, they, they call it, we give them uh, makeovers inside and out. And so they get spa treatments, they get new clothes to help out with job interviews, they get life coaching, they're assisted in networking with local businesses with the possibility of getting jobs, and there are lots of cool things that happen at these events. But one of the things that I got to do was be a foot washer. And so they just had these long lines of big basins of water and these chairs on one side and these kneeling mats on the other. And these women would come in, they'd have a seat, take off their shoes, and we'd just start washing their feet. And then afterwards, they'd take the bowl away, dump that water out, get new water, and just keep it going. When you wash someone's feet, you feel every callus, every bunion and blister. You touch every toenail that may or may not look good. It may have fungus. It might be torn. There could be cracks and tears in their feet. And in Jesus' time, it was probably a little bit different because they didn't have the same uh, ideas about hygiene that we do. And so they were probably, uh, their feet were probably even in worse shape. And so foot washing feels kind of weird. It's kind of nasty and dirty. But there's something else about foot washing. N.T. Wright, uh, in recounting a time when he participated in a foot washing service, said this, and I found this to be true myself. He said, I had prepared for the service in the usual way, but nothing could have prepared me for the sense of holy intimacy that went with the simple but profound action of washing other people's feet. Feet are very basic things, down to earth, you might say. Washing them is both very mundane. We all have to wash our feet, and we do, so, we do it so regularly we hardly think about it. And very close and personal. Washing between someone else's toes is an intimate action. It is a moment of tenderness. And so there's this very interesting way that Jesus enters into serving people, that he participates in serving his disciples. Now, not only is that going on, but culturally, this would have been absolutely inappropriate. This was a job that was often performed by slaves, and in this case, not Jewish slaves, but Gentile slaves. Or it is, uh, it is recorded that students or disciples would wash the feet of their masters. And so in taking off his outer garment, Jesus was left with this tunic or a shorter garment, kind of like a long undershirt. But that is the uniform that a slave would be dressed in to serve the meal and to wash feet. And so we have Jesus taking on the role of a slave. Later he would say to the disciples, that they're right to call him teacher and Lord. And here we see Jesus not just demonstrate, but Jesus lives out what it means to be teacher and Lord with all things under his power in the kingdom of God. And when he does it, he dismantles the cultures and the world's models of power and authority. And this is a point that I think we often miss, or at least I do. Because it's really easy for me to think of this primarily as a teaching moment. 
And I forget kind of that he actually did it. You see, if it becomes a teaching moment, then I think we give Jesus almost a little bit of a pass on this. And we say, because how many of us, when I think about when I'm trying to teach my kids something, I might go a little further than I normally would to try to teach them something. Or when you're putting together a presentation, you might say some things that aren't naturally what you would say. You might craft it and shape it. And so I think when we think about this as primarily a teaching moment, it becomes less legitimate. We think about, oh, maybe it's kind of crafted. Oh, Jesus put this together in his mind worked it out and I think we often lose some of the absolute craziness of this moment but it's not just a teaching moment it's a real raw living moment so he goes about washing feet and he gets to Simon Peter who has a very real raw response to the whole thing Lord are you going to wash my feet This is Peter speaking up and saying, this thing is 100% inappropriate. You're the master. If anything, I should be washing your feet. Jesus, very much like an older sibling or a parent, says, and I've said this a lot to my kids, you don't understand right now what's happening, but later on you will. Peter responds very much like my kids do. No. That doesn't make any sense. I don't care what you're saying. It doesn't. I mean, Peter turns to someone who he calls Lord and says, no, no, that's not how it's going to happen. You don't get it. Jesus responds, kind of laying it down. Unless I wash you, you're not going to have any part with me, meaning you're not going to have any of the share of the inheritance. Peter does his complete U-turn and says, okay, okay, that sounds great. Not just my feet, but my head and my hands. Wash, Wash all of me. Jesus said, that's not necessary. And he uses this illustration of if someone's going to go to dinner, a nice dinner like they were probably at, they would have already bathed. And so then they would have walked to the place where they're going. So when they get there, they're already clean. And what needs to happen is they need their feet washed again. This is an act of service. So Jesus says, you're already clean. That's not what this is about. He says, There's, not everyone's clean because the Judas is going to betray him. And he was aware of that. Jesus finishes washing their feet, puts his outer garment back on and returns to his place and then asks this question, do you understand what I have done for you? And as we read on, it becomes abundantly clear that the answer is no. He says, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. Do you understand what I have done for you? No. No, no, no. The answer then and the answer today is no. We don't. We can recite it. We know it on paper. But do we understand it in the sense that we live it out? That it's like breathing for us to love and care and serve? No. Why do I say that? Why do I say no, we don't understand it? I could be projecting on you, but this is my own experience. I know how I am on my best days. When things are going my way, it seems like nothing can go wrong. Everyone around me is happy. Things are moving and grooving. Jesus isn't in that moment. Jesus is on the verge of entering a time where he's going to be so stressed out that during prayer, he's going to sweat his own blood. He's not just serving his friends, but he's serving a friend, a dear friend, who's going to betray him. He washes his feet too. 
How do I know we don't understand? When I get stressed, I can be so easily swayed. Andrew, there's a picture of some crabs. You could get to that. It's super critical for this. Um, yeah. So I got to spend this last week uh, on Decatur Island having a wonderful time. And one of the things we did was go crabbing. Uh, and so we dropped the crab pot down. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm not a super experienced uh, rower in a boat, uh, but I was given that role. Uh, and so we went out, and we did a lot of rowing, and I was feeling really great about it and having a great day with my family, out rowing. And we went down to this nature preserve and saw all kinds of cool stuff, and they were like, time to go back and check the crab pot. And so we went back there, and as we got close to it, um, Angie, my wife, uh, was the one who was, was given the job of getting the crab pot. And so she grabbed onto it, but the current was kind of moving us past it. And so she said, well... And she let it go, saying, well, I just don't want to yank it up out of the water. And I was like, okay, okay. So now i got to maneuver this boat around, and I'm trying to get it to do a circle, and I'm kind of more going like this. And so I'm trying to get it to move in the way I want to, and it's not going. Um, and so we, we get back around again, and she grabs it. And I don't know what I said, probably something like, hey, wait, 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 I'm going to do this. And so she was like, oh, okay, I'm going to let go because you want to get in a better position. Right? And I was like, ugh. Ugh, right? And I don't know what I said in that moment, but I know what I felt. And it was, I said something that I shouldn't have, right? I said something that was mean-spirited, grumpy, and kind of like, fine, fine, fine. Just let me get this boat going. And the current splashing, and it's moving us away, and blah, blah, blah. That was over crabbing, right? That was over someone pulling up a crab pot. And I have this instant reaction where I'm like, oh, why are you attacking me? She's not attacking. She's trying to pull up a crab pot, right? What is it about me that responds that way? If you go to the next slide. The next one is Dean Peterson and I just last week. That's us taking a dual selfie, which I had never done before. There's one with him turned around that's even better, but I wanted you to see who it was. Uh, Dean Peterson and I rode um, the Washington back roads, Discovery Trail, which I never get the name of right, but it's all these logging roads, and we started at Ellensburg and kind of rode up, uh, up into Leavenworth and Kashmir and all this kind of stuff, but along the way, one of the things that happened uh, occasionally with my motorcycle is the battery just kind of dies, um, but I had charged up and felt pretty good. Look at me. I feel pretty good right there. Um, we got way into the middle of nowhere on these logging roads, uh, and my, uh, my battery decided it was done. Um, and so we ran through all these options, and Dean was like MacGyvering up like no one's business, like put this screwdriver there and do that, and we're trying to get this thing to charge, and it wasn't working. Um, and so then we decide Dean's got to ride in and, uh, and get jumper cables and bring them back. And, so, and you have to understand, at this point we're thinking, well, what's the name of the town, Dean? Ardenwar, right, out of Tolkien or something like that. And so he's got to ride to this town and get back, which is probably going to be at least two hours to get back. And so he does that, and every time, so he gets jumper cables, uh, but to, to get to our batteries, we've got to take, you see, we've got some stuff strapped onto the back. We've got to take all that stuff off. Uh, one of the bikes, you got to get to the battery, you've got to take uh, the seat off, which requires all these bolts and the side fairings. And so there's all this stuff that has to happen. We get the bike going jump it starts right away I get on it put it into gear and it dies we're like what 
So, and we'd gotten everything packed up again. So we unpacked everything, started it again. And then uh, this process happened way too many times throughout the day. Uh, but we got to this one spot, decided uh, we're going to go swimming. It means we've got to shut the bike off. But we had got it. Compression started at one time, so we thought maybe we could do that again. Went swimming um, in this river, which was awesome because it was like 100 billion degrees out. Um, and so we got back on, tried to start it, nothing. Tried to compression start it, nothing. Took everything off, found some jumper cables, had a guy in his truck, jump started. He drove off while I was packing my stuff back on. I got on the bike again, put it into gear, and it died. And I was like, why is that happening? And all of a sudden, I was like, wait, 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 wait. Motorcycles, and I know this, motorcycles have this thing that um, if, if it's in neutral when you start it, and the kickstand is down, if you try to put it in a gear with the kickstand down, it shuts off because it doesn't like people riding with the kickstand down, which is a very good process. But because I got stressed and kind of worked up, that completely left my mind. By the end of this day, and Dean can testify to this, I was like, ah! just didn't want to, I was just barking at things, right? Because we had done this process so many times and unpacked and packed things up. Uh, and it was, <laughs> it was a great adventure and a great story. But that is what happens when we get stressed. We kind of forget who we are. We forget the things we know. But what we see in this story about Jesus is he's completely sure of where he's come from and where he's going. And somehow that grounds him in a way that he can make a decision to do something different. On the eve of his betrayal, where we would often seek revenge, or we would try to avoid it, Jesus decides to serve in this revolutionary way, completely counter to what most of us would do. If someone's coming at me, i got to try to stop them. If someone's attacking me, someone's accusing me, someone doesn't believe what I believe, someone's slandering me, lying about me, cheating swindling or scamming me? Jesus' answer to all those is to make ourselves the lowest of servants and love those people. What? It's not what my initial response typically is. It may seem like as I'm talking about this, and you can move on to whatever's next, Andrew. That's going to freak me out, staring at that. Um, this is a big head of me up there. Uh, this may feel like I'm getting it like, so we got this big, heavy task, and it's impossible. But Jesus doesn't ask us to do this. He doesn't invite us into this to say, ha, you can't do it. You're not good enough. Jesus serves, and he invites us to participate with great expectation and belief that we can follow him into this. Jesus says this with full confidence that his disciples and we will follow him into what he's doing. Why do we get it wrong? I think partially because we have a misunderstanding of humility. One of the main takeaways uh, from this is humble service. And, and humility is greatly understood in many parts of Christendom. One person said this, and I thought it was great. Humility is so shy. If you begin talking about it, it leaves. That's Timothy Keller. And what he's saying is, as soon as we start talking about being humble or even wanting to be humble... Pride starts to sneak in, and we're like, I kind of want everyone to see how humble I am. If you think about being humble, we're often moving right into pride. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says this, 
True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. We often think humility is us realizing that we're inherently bad, broken worms, the scum of the earth kinds of things. And that God sits and judges us with this scowl on his face. And then Jesus kind of runs in in front of us and in between us and God. And God's kind of distracted from the ugliness that we are. He sees only Jesus and he goes, oh yeah, they can come in. They're fine. Because I'm just looking at Jesus. He's kind of got these Jesus-colored glasses. That is a shame-based theology. Now, I don't want to deny the reality that there is something wrong in the world. But that wrong is our distance from God. When God sees us, he doesn't see us as hideous or ugly and then puts on these kinds of Jesus safety goggles so that all he sees is Jesus. Jesus died because God so loves the world, each one of us, down to the very people that hate God. And God sees each of us as children, his children. He's constantly reaching out, inviting, wooing each one of us back into a good relationship. God sees humanity humanity collectively in each individual as being worthy of the death of his own son. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking correctly about ourselves. And we can only do this when we are secure in our relationship with God. Over and over in the book of John, we read how Jesus knows it's the right time. It's the right moment. No, now's not my time. No, and that's not the way I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it different. Why? Because I know who I'm from. I know where I'm going. One of the things that happens as we begin to know God in this way is we think of ourselves less. Again, Quoting C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity. If we find that our religious life is making us feel that we are good, meaning above all, that we are better than someone else, I think we may be sure that we are being acted on, not by God, but by the devil. I want to be clear here. I'm not talking about some sort of I lose my identity. I I lose who I am. Because one, there's one that's a shame-based one that says we're all inherently evil and God just sees us as bad. And there's... Another side, (coughs) sorry, there's there's that one side. This doesn't mean we don't care about ourselves, we don't care for ourselves, we don't uh, try to take care of ourselves. What it means, though, is that we have to be ready to live out, like breathing, what it means that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Jesus took this system that says that some are better than others and undid it. Jesus, the Lord, said, This system that says I'm better than you, that I'm better than someone else because they have a certain vocation or heritage or ethnicity, it's absolutely false. This act of serving is not beneath me, and serving should not be beneath you. Taking the place of the slave, Jesus both lowers himself but elevates all people to be on equal standing. This is what God does. This is what we are doing to be doing in this world. And this is what Jesus is inviting us to do. This is what we call grace. In uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. There's a freedom that comes with the grace of God to no longer operate by the rules of the world or the culture. Jesus, in this one act, takes some embedded rules and tradition Traditions and utterly and completely undoes them. 
He does so because he's aware of who he is in God. So secure in his relationship with God that he doesn't have to search for importance or significance in the plans or ideals or the timing of anyone else. And right now, our culture and our world is in a space where we need to be able to do this. We have a country that is in ongoing process of being torn apart. We need to see that all human beings are equal. We need to see the racial problems in our country, in our state, in our city, in our neighborhood, in our homes, in our families, in our own hearts. We need to stop looking at others as less for whatever reason that may be, whether it's the choices they've made or the circumstances they're in, it doesn't matter. We need to serve one another and break these systems that are evil. The thing that I want us to remember in all this is that Jesus invites us into this with a wholehearted belief that we can do it. That we, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, can live out this kingdom of God way of living. I have a couple of questions that I would like you to uh, answer, if you would, on the connection cards that are in your bulletins. And you can take those and place them in the wood boxes on your way out, if you would. Or you can just answer them uh, in your bulletin. You can write down these questions for further uh, reflection. First, you typically see this moment as a teaching moment, a serving moment, or some kind of mix of both. Again, for me, when the, the, the thing that hit me the most out of this this time was that I predominantly have seen it as a teaching moment. And, and then in my mind, it becomes this crafted thing, not this natural thing that Jesus did. And when I saw it more as a natural thing that Jesus did, that he then was like, yeah, you guys need to pay attention to what I just did, it radically changed how I saw that taking place. Second, who are the people in the spaces that you live and move in that you could serve? Could be family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, classmates, church, etc. Swim team, whatever activities you're in. Who are the people in the spaces you live in and move in that you could serve? And then last, what are some ways that you can serve the people that you just listed above? Um, and here I would like you to both be general and specific if you can. Because you could say, uh, you know, it's, it's my bowling league. And I need to love that group more. Okay, awesome. I want you to write, how would you love them more? Maybe it's, I'm going to listen to them more. Uh, I'm going to celebrate every time something good happens for them. I'm going to try to just pay attention to them more. I want you to try to be specific with that. Um, Worship team, you can come back up while I pray. And then we'll uh, continue in worship with another song. Dear God, um, I'm I'm just struck this morning by, again, Jesus, you're just not uh, always what I think you're going to be. And oftentimes you call me to do something that is really hard, uh, but then when I've been through it, I find, oh, man, but that was so great. Um, This idea, this reality of serving and even making myself even uh, let go of things like, Uh, How the world sees power, how the world sees control, how the world sees authority. Some of those that have become embedded in me. I think think of being a father. What does it mean for me to to listen to my kids in ways that they could teach me? Revolutionizes that whole relationship. How do I treat the people around me who, who the world might say, oh, that person is above or below you they have superiority or they're inferior to you what things are we doing in those systems that that can destroy those systems 
How do we really love and care and serve? How do we wash the feet of the people around us? And Lord, I pray that as we do this, it does seem huge. It seems too big and almost overwhelming. But I am given great encouragement by the reality that you didn't ask us to participate in this in a way that you're going to see, go, see, you are, you are bad. You are not good enough. You are not, you can't do this. But that you've invited us to participate with you in that. And that your word says that your divine power gives us everything we need for life and godliness. So I pray we would walk in that encouragement and that confidence and start loving and serving in some ways that seem culturally crazy. And just see what happens. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?